The Supreme Court has handed down yet another big decision on School Choice Day. This one is a huge step forward, and the reason why you watch the fastest-growing conservative podcast here in South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, is so that you know how this impacts you and what's going on, because, Justin, this is a big issue. Our colleagues up in Maine uh, were at the Supreme Court not only on December 1st when you were there for the Dobbs case, they were there a week later on this particular case called the Carson case, talking about the ability for state funds to go to religious schools. And that's a huge issue. In, in the state of Maine, uh, they have had a level of school choice for several years, several decades now, because of the way that their schools were set up. In that particular case, you may have certain rural areas where you didn't have a school, and so the 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 State basically said, we're going to provide you the money. You can go choose what school you want to go to. Well, a little while back, the the state said, well, you can't send that money to a religious school. Well, let's look at it from this standpoint. You've got traditional public schools. You've got charter schools. You've got private schools. And you've got religious private schools, all of which flow along this spectrum of education, which the responsibility of it is to educate the 800,000 students in the state of South Carolina because that is a responsibility of the state. In the state of Maine, the state of Maine said, you can't send your child to a religious school. And with that, cut off the funding that went with that. You had a family in Maine who worked as the, the they were the test case study. Mm-hmm to argue against this, against the superintendent or the commissioner of education in the state of Maine, basically saying, you have violated our constitutional First Amendment rights. And so to help us understand that, to go a little bit deeper into that and to uh, see how that impacts some things that are going on here in South Carolina, I had a sit-down conversation with our friend and former president of Palmetto Family Council, uh, Dr. Oren Smith with Palmetto Promise. We want to share that conversation with you now. So joining us today, our colleague, uh, former president of Palmetto Family Council, my friend, uh, Dr. Oren Smith. Oren, it has been a whirlwind when it comes to talking about school choice Absolutely. and what has gone on both on the national front and on the local front here in South Carolina because we've had a great success of something that came out of the Supreme Court on Tuesday. But just a few weeks ago, it seemed like somebody in the South Carolina Senate kind of stuck it to us when it came to school choice. Right, yes. Well, the, the word from the Supreme Court, uh, this is thrice, thrice they have spoken uh, on an issue that relates to the Establishment Clause versus the Free Exercise Clause. And if there's any phrase uh, I almost think I could I could point to someone off camera and say point to them and say separation of church and state. There's probably no issue that's more confused in the mind of the public that is that is probably fed by people who are concerned about believers uh, being involved in politics, actually expressing themselves yeah, and yes. using their First Amendment right. Right. Exactly. Right. So anything, anything. Uh, a church van driving by a school at 25 miles per hour. Separate your church <laughs> and state. I mean, it, it's become really absurd. This this Supreme Court, that uh, they are the uh, tutors, the tutors for the people on uh, what what separates the church and state really ought to mean. First first one was uh, 2008, where they they spoke out in Trinity Lutheran. 2020, we get Espinoza. Espinoza out of Montana says. If a 
program is offered to provide scholarships for children to attend private schools, independent schools, and it's a state-funded program, right. you can't exclude Christian schools. So the Supreme Court said in this decision uh, yesterday uh, from Maine that you can preach all you want to, you can be who you are, and, and that's the phrase that I'm latching onto here. You can be who you are and still participate in a state program. And this is what the debate in the South Carolina House and the South Carolina Senate, seven Senate subcommittees were held on S-935, the Education Scholarship Which Academy. made it abundantly clear that there is a, a right for students to choose, for parents to choose with their students, where they want their children to go to school. So we, we get down or into the debate that happens, well, we don't like vouchers, we don't... But the reality is this is all about the money following the child because the exactly. responsibility in the Constitution of South Carolina is to provide an education for a child. Does it go into the specifics that it has to be a public school or is it the responsibility of the state to provide the funding? Well, the state constitutions have a number of nuances that sometimes come into play and the one that we've struggled with in South Carolina is no, was known nationally as the Blaine Amendments and those were the ones by the uh, congressman uh, from Maine, James G. Blaine, who uh, had these amendments uh, inserted, tried to get it in the federal constitution, succeeded in a number of states including South Carolina in 1895 to say that no state dollars could be uh, allocated to a religious institution. And that the newest innovation of school choice is called the Education Scholarship Account. Which is what this bill that was going on in the Senate had made it through a conference committee. They, they had reached an agreement. The House has signed off on the House their version. signed off big time. 80, but, 85 to 15, yes. But we get to the Senate, which in the last two years it has not been the graveyard of the Senate except for this bill. This bill hit a roadblock, uh, a massive roadblock, but what does the ESA bill actually do? Well, the, the beauty of the ESA bill, it is it's very clear, uh, and let's, let's try to picture this in our minds, we have, uh, we have a parent and a child, um, we have uh, the state, and we have an entity. And I say an entity, it could be a school, it could be tutoring, it could be uh, therapy. It could be anything that's going to help with the education of the child. Educating the child, right? right. Okay. That they don't currently have in, in public school. Actually, the way the Senate bill was written, it could have been a public school. It could have been a public school, a private school, tutoring, therapy, all kinds of stuff. Okay. The relationship, and this was explained in the in the case yesterday from the Supreme Court. The relationship is between the state and the parent and the parent and the provider. So the parent is the one who is receiving the, 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 the funds and direct, in an account. In an account and directing that money to whatever institution, whatever entity that's best for them to make a choice for the education of their children. So And that was in the notes, that was already in the preamble to the decision yesterday. So it said the parent is making a choice. So when we have now a Supreme Court decision and a state Senate that honestly they fumbled the ball on the one yard line. Uh, I, I don't think 
I don't think it's over with yet, but what would ESAs allow us to have in South Carolina as a step towards school choice? There are really three types of school choice. There's the old voucher program. I think the first voucher program in America was probably in the 1880s or 1890s, really early on. Places that where they didn't have a public school, where they might have a private school, so the state would say, all right, here's a little certificate you can use this voucher which which was a, which was actually part of Maine's law back in the day in the early 1900s right 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 some of the northeastern states have had school choice of some form nearly forever right now there's about 67 school choice programs and they're grouped into three buckets one are the old vouchers right. and there's still a lot of them around the second is the tax credit scholarship and uh, as you know well, we have the Exceptional SC program in South Carolina. Which provides, provides for exceptional scholarship. needs scholarship programs for children who have special needs uh, when it comes to educational special needs or physical special needs that can only be handled or handled best in a private situation. Right. Those dollars are then funded through tax credits to from average South Carolinians who are giving to that, they get a tax write-off for it. That's right. a great part about so it. So if I owe right. Uncle if I owe Uncle Palmetto right. five thousand dollars. You can write that to the scholarship program and get a hundred percent tax credit. Right. Yeah. So that was the second phase of school choice, right. the tax credit scholarship. The third phase uh, was invented really for this very purpose, and that is there needs to be a way for parents to have multiple choices. But as time has gone by, we've gone into, for your sports fans out there, we've gone into the idea of a portal. Okay. And the portal is basically the state creates an account, the parent logs in and comes up a list of vendors of all different types that have been proved, proven to be bona fide schools, teaching, uh, therapy, whatever. Right. And the parent simply makes that connection, you know, much in the same way that you do a lot of things online. We right. take funding from one source and you match them together. That's how an ESA works. And as the Supreme Court said, that creates a relationship where the parent has more than the choice of a private school. With the ESA, you have a lot of choices besides just private schools. So the idea that it's somehow a secret way to funnel money to private schools directly it is not accurate. It is truly a hands-off program where the state gives the parent the money, the parent makes the choice. So ESAs, it is the perfect way of being constitutional. So I'm going to throw the, he's got a doctorate curveball at you because here is now the philosophical question that comes into this. We are looking at education in South Carolina. Are we at a precipice right now of a real turning point for education in South Carolina. I mean, we've got uh, we've we've got a superintendent of education's race that is going on this week. Early voting starts on Wednesday, and it and an election is on Tuesday for the for the runner-up or for the for the primary runoff, where you've got a distinction between uh, the a standard way that we've been doing education and somebody who's really focused on educational change. Are we at that tipping point? in the populace in South Carolina to say, hey, listen, the old system hasn't been working. We really need to be innovative here. The movement that we're seeing right now is much more, I'd say, 100% homegrown. Right. It, it is a, it's a program that has filtered up from the grassroots saying, particularly during COVID, when 
when public schools were closed, you had parents who maybe never thought of themselves as school choice advocates saying, you know, the funds that go to the public school that's not open, I'd really like to have that in an account that I could direct to a private Wherever school that is open. Right, because we saw parents making choices. I mean, the, the charter school movement saw so, many, so much of an in-migration of students from the traditional schools because parents were like, I want my child in a classroom and the schools are shutting down. And, yes. and what am I going to do here? Uh, homeschooling saw a, a huge increase. Uh, the, what you see when it comes to, to hybrid programs became much more uh, available. And, and the Pods. Yeah. And that yeah. really has impacted what's going on. And I think, I think we're at that point right now in education in South Carolina where people are saying, we're looking at education differently now, but we still had a problem in the South Carolina Senate. Yeah, I think the situation right now is uh, the way that the bill uh, S-935 went through the Senate, the way it came into the conference report was it was, it was for Medicaid eligible uh, children. Which are just mathematically, those are children who live at a certain Float around the poverty level, two hundred and twenty percent of of the federal poverty. Line. So that that is a, a specific group of students, but it was an entree into the state, making it abundantly clear that we are going to start offering a level of true school choice, right, to to a group of people. So the old I shouldn't say old because it exists the 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 exceptional SC program that right that became a statute a few years ago. That would still exist for children with special needs. This would be children whose special need is is their is poverty. Right. There are always a few people who are very powerful that don't really have to do that much to prevent something from from going off track. And what we had happen last uh, Wednesday was a confluence of a lot of different factors. Uh, one was. Um, before the day was over, I think I counted either eight or nine Republican senators that were not in the chamber right. uh, while, the, while the session was still going on. So you're into the early evening at this point, and all of a sudden you're looking at having um, 22 Republican senators in their seats in the chamber when they, we've elected 30. Right. So some of those eight or so had sick relatives to take care of or had other pressing engagements. However, when you're getting down to 22 and cloture, which is basically saying we're going to end the debate, we're not going to allow a filibuster to continue, we'll give you your time to talk, you know, those who are on the opposite side, and we'll give you your, your time to be able to, to make your say, but then we're going to exercise the tick, clock tick. and we're going to be done. And when that happens, we're going to vote on this. So Senator Grooms, our beloved Senator Larry Grooms, right. who is the sponsor of the bill, made the motion for cloture and um, needed 24 votes. There were only 22 Republicans in the chamber. He got 21 votes. So debate was not cut off. People are tired. They're looking at their watches. Uh, everybody on the Democrat side of the aisle just wanted to leave because they wanted the bill to die right there on the one yard line. Right. So there became all this pressure to say, okay, let's just quit. We're done. But it's not necessarily dead yet. We're at a good Samaritan kind of moment here. 
The bill is sitting on the side of the road. There's got to be a way for somebody to come along because mathematically, and, and we talk politics all the time, mathematically, there is a way to get that bill up for debate and a vote, but that's going to require some political maneuvering, and we're going to talk about that more on our podcast a little bit later, but there is a place for, to be able to do that. Uh, if the Education Scholarship Account Act passes, then the way the bill is written, there would be 5,000 scholarships the first year. So what we would be uh, at that moment into would be an accountability moment. Right. Um, all of those 5,000, in our view, should be required to take a national, nationally normed reference test where their knowledge would be compared to some national standard. And then based on that, we would have a way of evaluating whether this whole exercise in school choice actually worked. Uh, and then if it does work, then it would be propelled into the future permanently. But the bill as it is currently written uh, uh, has three years at 5,000, and then the fourth year and beyond would be 15,000. Wow. So to get to that fourth year, and then you're talking about 15,000 students, uh, the, the, the top ESA states in the country are Arizona and Florida, and they both hover around uh, 15,000 students after being on the books for, in some cases, eight or 10 years. So I, I think if we were to get to 15,000 uh, and we're able to compare what the independent schools are able to do for those kids, uh, we would have a basis for, for understanding maybe we need to go to 20 or 25 or an open program where, like West Virginia, uh, any student can choose any school and the state will simply and transfer And that the is funds. the true free market of education. The true, as you said earlier, true dollars follow the child. Child, child. We had one hang up on this issue. Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey did not want to see certain things done, wanted a change to that. Had to do with testing. What was the difference between the testing you're looking at and the one that the senator was wanting to see change? Yeah, I, uh, I call this the, um, the Senate hokey pokey. You know, because you, you put turn your left hand in and your left hand in and right. you turn around. This that's is, what it's all about, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's what, that, that was what it was all about. <laughs> this is what happened. Uh, Senator Shane Massey was the chair of the, uh, of the uh, subcommittee. Uh, and that's over seven hearings. They got something out to the full committee that they really, they really liked, the subcommittee really liked. Senator Massey really liked it. Well, he had spent eight long uh, in some cases, two-hour meetings to right. try to get it to where he wanted it. So it arrives in the Education Committee. The Education Committee said, now wait a minute, um, you're saying here that in order to uh, participate in the program, the school or other provider has to agree to administer the test that the public schools administer, which is a proprietary test that's owned by the state public schools are tested with this test, right. uh, private schools don't. So this full education committee said, now what, what we would be more comfortable with would be either the state test or, and it would be up to the school, or a nationally norm reference test. Right. So gave the option. So now we're at the full committee. When it gets to the floor, and this is why it's hokey pokey because something's coming in and out, and that is when it gets to the floor, requiring the state test goes back in. 
So it comes out of the Senate saying state test. It comes out of the House saying national norm reference test. So when the conference committee met, the senator said, hey, you have national norm reference test. We have either, but the version that passed our education committee had national norm reference. We'll just, we'll just agree with you on that one. And the House says, well, um, that's good because that was our number one request in conference. And that is that it be a national norm reference test. So this would allow then, Oren, for us to compare our scholarship program with the other scholarship programs in these other states it, to be it, able to, it just, would, to see a, yes, a, a And it would compare um, any, any student who takes the national norm reference test, you'd be comparing <clears> to a national standard. Not one of them in the country requires only the state test as an option. We would be the outlier. And Josh Kimbrell made this point on the floor. We would be the outlier. We would be the only state in the country with an ESA program that required only the state test. So when it comes out of conference, we're thinking, well, surely everybody gets that. That national norm reference test or state test is the way to go. And the House, uh, with a very lopsided vote, agreed with that. We thought the Senate was on track to agree with that, too. But then it became a question over what tests should be required. We, we just did not see any other state requiring the state test in their states for ESA programs. We didn't see the House insisting on it. So we were like, let's just, let's not die on this hill. And ultimately, uh, we, at least we are near death on, right. that, on that hill. And we'll discuss that a little bit more on our podcast. But Dr. Oren Smith, if, if folks want to learn more about the research and everything else you've got behind that, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I think uh, palmettopromise.org, palmettopromise.org. Uh, we have a section on, on that site uh, all about education scholarship accounts and a lot of education issues, uh, but, but also issues related to health care and, uh, and energy uh, we have the highest electricity bills in the country of three years. There are ago. certain days I feel that way, and, yeah. and now my kids are going, "Can't we just get an electric car?" No, I really, you know, I'm already paying enough as it is. Right, right. But so yeah. that's the right. that's the that's the place where we repository for all of our research. Orrin Smith is part of a partnership group that we have uh, of groups, conservative groups across South Carolina. And Palmetto Promise is a huge part of the research that goes behind the issues when it comes to education, to healthcare, to energy, and, and the mainstay issues of our economy, especially. And uh, Dr. Smith, thanks so much for Thank being a part of today. Sound of a blast from the past. It was great, <laughs> great to see you here at Palmetto Family. A big thanks again to Dr. Oren Smith with Palmetto Promise. You know, it is great to work with other organizations who are rounding out the work that we do here as a conservative voice here in South Carolina. One of the things that we talked about in that conversation is the fact that it seems like the bill is dead and it's more like the, the man on the side of the road in the, in the Good Samaritan story. And it's really time for the Good Samaritans in South Carolina to, to pick it up off the ground and say, we need to do something. And we have a way to be able to do that. The, the state legislature, Justin, right now cannot take that issue up, but it's still what's called sitting in the box in the Senate. So for inside baseball for you, that's what this means. It basically says they didn't kill it. It's not dead. It's just hibernating right now. If we don't do something by the time they start the next legislative session, then it's dead. 
But an interesting thing happened when they were putting together the signing die resolution this year. They actually put a hard, firm deadline for ending that signy die, that end of session date, to say that we will be done by November 13th. The interesting part of that, that, that next day, Monday, November 14th, the governor has an ability to call the legislature back for any issues that did not get resolved or things that the governor feels is important. So when we look at this now, we're, we have a pathway for the educational scholarship accounts to actually become law in South Carolina and push forward on school choice, true school choice in education in South Carolina. But that's going to be an act that the governor's going to have to do. And it would be a great thing for Governor McMaster to distinguish between where he is on education and what we're going to be hearing, we know, from Democrat Joe Cunningham. What's interesting about this is... This would be an opportunity for the governor. You mentioned November 14th. Election day is the Tuesday prior. It will be interesting to see how everything shakes out heading toward that date. Does the governor, after, an, again, uh, assuring himself of four more years, does he take that opportunity to kind of reassert the bully pulpit of the governor's seat to bring the legislature back to discuss this very issue? Because this is one issue that, of the many that were accomplished, uh, this this session, this is one that still needs to get across the finish line. And I think that it is a strong position for the governor to be able to take, and he can take this, to turn around and say, this is one way we're going to really begin to impact what goes on in education in South Carolina. And I think that that's a, a move that he could be moving forward on. Uh, we would encourage that, especially as we take a look at the fact that we're going to have the election take place, signing die is going to happen, and it's an opportunity for that window to be opened to actually do something with this. I just want to make a quick note before we get to our top three stories that we'll hit on very quickly. This is fresh off the press about an hour ago, actually, um, from SCOTUS blog on Twitter. We're recording this on Wednesday at around 1130. The Supreme Court has added another opinion day this week. So the court will now issue opinions uh, both on Thursday and Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. There are 13 cases we are still awaiting the decisions on, and one of those we know <laughs> one of those is, is the Dobbs, the Dobbs case. Is the Dobbs case? Uh, could it be that that decision gets released on Friday? Odds are the court's not going to be in Friday morning, still writing these decisions. Uh, could it be that the justices kind of get out of town on Thursday night, and that decision comes out on Friday? Just a quick note for you. That would not be an unusual thing to happen. One, I think it would make sense in, in the news business. Any news that falls on a Friday tends to kind of fall on some deaf ears because other people are doing something. It would not surprise me to see a decision like that come down on Friday uh, because, like as you said, it gives a buffer zone there of Saturday and Sunday uh, but the real questions kind of come down to what's going to happen in local communities because we know here in Columbia, at least, we have a lot of opposition from supporters of Planned Parenthood. And across the nation, we have seen more than 40 different what they call Jane's Revenge attacks. So keep in mind, this is Jane Roe. They use the Jane's Revenge um, of the Roe versus Wade case to, to basically for pro-abortion supporters to then come out and have yeah. revenge acts against things like crisis pregnancy centers and pro-life organizations. It's We've seen that terrorism. happen. We've seen that happen all across. It's I don't know. Is that much different than what we saw with um, 
well, a few summers ago? Well, I, w- I would say it's not very different than what you saw a few summers ago, and I would say it's much more... Uh, well, we won't get into that. Yeah. We'll leave that alone. I don't want to get subpoenaed by a committee <laughs> up in Washington. Let's move on to some major news. Uh, this is actually coming uh, today, around 3 o'clock. The president is set to make a request that the federal government uh, give a gas tax holiday uh, for three months, so until September, 18 cent less per gallon. You'll be paying for gas if this goes through, and he's calling on states to uh, relinquish their gas tax lease. Uh, but wait, 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 wait. So l- let's just mathematically do this for South Carolina. So our gas tax is getting ready to go to 28 cents per gallon. Yes, it is. Up two more cents. It's the last of the two cent increases. Mm-hmm. To bring us now to to twenty eight cents a gallon, so you add the twenty eight with the eighteen, that brings us to a total of forty six cents a gallon. I'm not great at math, but you're right. No, okay, so, but I'd be paying a tick under four dollars a gallon. But when Joe Biden went into office, the average price of gas was two thirty nine. Well, again, Putin invaded Ukraine. So. But 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 we're now the average is what four in 50? South Carolina. Four ninety five. I mean, I was happy the other day to actually see gas at four oh five. I was like, "Wow, guys, it's almost down to under four bucks a gallon." And I'm going, "Okay, I I had to check my temperature on this one." We're doing great. But if we okay, so let's let's take out the forty six cents a gallon. Is that really fixing the problem? No, it does give him a a, a bit of a victory on on this case. Is you're looking. It's summer, summer travel. You can say, well, you know, if people start traveling and using gas and using their cars that aren't electric vehicles, then I'm saving them a little bit at the pump. I mean, I just filled my tank up for about $55 and probably could have squeezed another 10 in uh, last night. So, but this is going to cost the federal government about $10 billion, right. uh, the White House is saying. So, but, but this, it, that, okay, if, if that's the case, then are we actually then going to stop road construction and the things that go on that the Department of Transportation does? Or you can't in South Carolina. South Carolina Department of Transportation just announced they're going forward with the I-26 widening. So if that's the case, then are we then just, is this window dressing? This, hey, listen, we're going to do this, but we're going to then eventually have to borrow money, which means that the cost is now going to get passed along in the interest payments and everything else that we're going to be paying down the road. But we don't feel that yet. Don't worry about that part yet. Well, there again, it's the putting public pressure on oil companies to lower prices in order to be more patriotic. But at the same time, we're trying to move away from uh, oil. We're trying to go green. We're trying to go clean. The uh, the, the press secretary yesterday, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she had a Freudian slip yesterday. What did she She say? She said that the president is doing everything he can to elevate the pain at the pump. Yes, he is. She had to do a quick quick reversal. No, I meant alleviate the pain at the pump. So when you start (laughs) saying that that I can't read my notes or I just Freudian slip. That's that's a Freudian slip to end all Freudian slips. Uh, One thing about energy and gas prices, things of this sort, this is actually from beyond the South Carolina borders, beyond the country's borders. We go across the pond. Yes. We go over to Europe. Germany is now back on coal. That's right. Germany's back on coal. Because they, they but do. that's so against the Paris Accords and everything else that we're supposed to be doing for a green America, a green green world. But they're feeling the pinch, and they have to go back to coal. Dang it! And and so now we have to lower. <laughs> it's it. The, if you take a step back, if you look at this, I would say from a thirty thousand foot view, but then you can't see anything. Let's go to the moon and look down. <laughs> You were to the watch smoke things is happen. To, cover the world. to watch to watch things happen since 2018 has just been the wildest thing 
you could imagine. Germany said they were going to move off of coal fully by 2030. That was in 2018. But that and was in 2022, four years later, yes. four years later, they are right back on coal because four more years and they're and they're four ramping and they're ramping it up. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. Also, because they you need have electricity. Yes, you have yes. energy uh, experts or trust the experts. Um, that are saying that we need to in- introduce a carbon tax because carbon is deadly. Now, I might be wrong, <laughs> but like as I'm body, speaking, our body's made when, of you, carbon when you dioxide. inhale oxygen, <laughs> yes. you expel carbon dioxide, which is then taken in by the plants. But I also heard that, I mean, let's just like, pause for a moment. If kids are in the car, you can mute this. I heard cow farts were just as bad. You know, I'm well, just AO, saying. Well, AOC, AOC told us that the flagellations bloom. from the, from animals was worse. The bloom is off of that rose. So um, that's mm. like the algae bloom in Lexington it's water. Just, just that algae that bloom happen. is off the water now as well. There you go. One final thing in Washington today before we move on, and we're I'm doing more research on this as it stands because this happened late last night. the The text of this new federal gun legislation was passed. The full text was released about eight o'clock, and they voted on it at like ten o'clock. Is this a pass the That's bill great. to know That's what's great. in it sort it's of great thing? great government in action right there. Um, no, they did release it. Okay. Uh, I find some things that are that are interesting in it. Again, it's going to take a little bit more time. We won't comment fully on what it says yet because you got to read it. Uh, I actually like knowing read what's in a bill. bill. I actually like reading a bill before commenting on it, <laughs> unlike, unlike some people at the federal and state level. Um, 6434, basically a perfunctory test vote right. to see if it could get to – it's going to get to the floor. And it's going to – it's – filibuster proof if it goes along with this uh 12 14 republicans signed on to to the legislation including john cornyn who helped draft it mitch mcconnell the senate minority leader lindsey graham uh, all voted yes and, and along with uh, lisa murkowski Joni ernst and a few others but tim scott voted against tim scott voted against now what right. i was reading this morning as i was as i was in the office not reading while i was driving in i gotta be careful um when i got in he was wavering a little bit, had plenty of discussions before casting his vote. I don't know if he was on the fence on the issue. Hard to tell because I wasn't there, uh, and I don't know his mind. Um, this does increase a little bit more incentivizing more red flag laws in states. Um, it actually gives money regardless of whether you institute red flag laws or not. Do you have your own issues with red flag laws? gives more power to mental health um, institutions, the okay. FBI, things of that sort. To the FBI crack is a down, mental institution. And, well, <laughs> just, John, uh, just John Cornyn and Senator Murphy all said that this legislation will save thousands of lives. It will save thousands of lives. It's an eighty-page, it's an eighty-page bill. Remember when we talked about the Compassionate Care Act yes. and how long that bill was? There was a whole lot of nothingness in that, that bill. It was a 59, 60-page bill. When when a bill's that long, odds are. But wait a minute, you got to remember that's a, that's a lot smaller than oh the Obamacare bill was. It was like that's true. It was like a couple thousand pages. We're giving fifteen billion dollars in new federal funding for different mental health programs and schools. But we have to keep in mind this: federal funding also comes with federal mandates. You know, why do we have the legal drinking age? at 21 now versus 18 where it used to be because that got tied to, okay, well, you want highway funds? Great. Then you're going to have to change your legal drinking age from 18 to 21. You want to be able to have these funds 
to be able to use for your education system, then you're going to have to have these things in your educational system in order for you to be able to get the funds. So do not be surprised if we end up in a situation where it's going to have money tied to the states enacting certain things like red flag laws. And constituting what a dating relationship looks like. What? It's in the bill. Uh, because, well, it, it dealt with the boyfriend loophole. There's a boyfriend um, loophole. Yes, where a person, to... a person cannot be cleared to own a weapon if they're convicted of a domestic violence offense, but that only applied to husbands and, and, and one or someone who lived with or had children with the person who was um, the violence was committed Not against. Not your living boyfriend. Right. So, so we now, now have to have a living boyfriend written into state law? Or or not not necessarily a living boyfriend, but just a dating relationship. Oh. That if there's violence committed in that relationship, which is wrong. Again, right. I want to make sure we can make no. that point, which is wrong. But then it's a little bit more strict and a little bit more amb- ambiguous, and I really don't understand what they're talking American about. American government is getting into dating relationships now. Well, they can't really define it. Um, but they can't define a woman either. I mean, let's true. just say. So they're I mean, ta- it, it's based on, a dating relationship is based on quote, and I'm quoting uh, your well, not your senator if you're in South Carolina, because neither of your senators really had a whole lot. Well, maybe one of them did. Um, the quote frequency and type of interaction end quote between the people involved. Of course, this excludes casual acquaintanceships or ordinary fraternization in a business or social context. Clear I'm not mud. going anywhere near this one. Clear the, as mud. The ten foot pole rule uh, is is way out the door on that particular yep. one. Um, this took a while. Uh, Senator Cornyn got <laughs> did, did not address a very happy group in Texas over the weekend. Um, so you have people on both sides. The the major gun control advocates say not far enough. The the major folks on the on the right two a all the way. Right. It it goes way too far. So again. Compromise legislation is what it is, but at the end of the day, we'll have to read more into this and see uh, what comes out in the wash. One more thing, uh, local within the state. Right. Um, we remember in April in, in Casey, South Carolina, just across the river, a Casey police officer named Andrew Barr was killed in the line of duty uh, back in April. Sad event for the t- for the city, my church is in that city. I'm about a five-minute drive from the you're Casey a, city limit. You are a, um, the churches across the street from where it happened, where it happened. And, and my house is about 10 minutes from that. Um, the same situation just happened in Spartanburg as well. Deputy Austin Aldridge was killed in the line of duty last night. Um, it was a domestic dispute, and he wa- the, the gun was turned on him fairly quickly. As soon as he arrived, the 63-year-old gunman turned the gun onto the uh, onto the officer, shot him as he was coming up to the door. Um, sheriff Chuck Wright, uh, Spartanburg County Sheriff, very emotional conversation with the media last night as he was having to make this announcement. Um, Senator Kimbrell and I were talking. This is actually in his district. Um, he said, you know, there were, was wondering why the police cruisers were speeding by his office, 10 of them. Uh, shortly uh, after the shooting happened yesterday afternoon. And uh, we, we do want to lift up the Aldridge family right now. 25-year-old sheriff's deputy went to work yesterday and did not get the chance to come home because he was there to serve a local community. And so for everyone who wears the blue, we are very grateful for everything that you do, for putting it on the line every single day so that we can 
do this so that we can have the protections we need to be able to share with you thoughts and ideas. And for that, we're very, very grateful. And to the family of Deputy Aldridge, our prayers are with you. They are. And so on that solemn tone, we take our, our way out of here. If the Supreme Court does come down with the Dobbs decision this week, you can count on us to be right back here in front of you breaking down their decision and what it means for you and what it means for the state of South Carolina as we move into a post-Roe world. And trust me, there's a lot of tension on the streets, right down the road, actually, at, at Planned, Planned Parenthood. Parenthood. There, there's, uh, trust me, it's it's happening right now. James Revenge is, may, not as, may not be as loud in South Carolina, but it's, it, it's happening it's happen. here. And we will see how that all shakes out with a Supreme Court decision. For Dave Wilson, for everybody on staff at Palmetto Family, thank you for tuning in to the Fastest Growing Conservative Podcast in the state of South Carolina. Where's the bell? The South Dane. of the Palmetto <laughs> Family Matters Podcast with no bell. I don't know where to go. We will see you guys later this week.